Talking Back. I'm your host, Dr. Paula Sperry. For the next half hour, I invite you to join me as we explore health issues in the news and learn from those involved in keeping our community healthy. Our goal is not to diagnose or to suggest treatment, but to celebrate your body's innate potential to heal itself. Today, I'm on location in beautiful Mashpee, off of Echo Road, hanging out with Steve Mercer, who's the district manager for Hartney Graymont. And what is Hartney Graymont, you might say? Well, it's a tree company. What is a tree company doing on a health and wellness show? The earth is part animal and it's part plant. And we depend on each other for our, our survival. For example, we breathe in oxygen and exhale carbon dioxide and trees inhale, if you will, carbon dioxide and produce oxygen. So if that doesn't say it all right there, Steve, I don't know what does. We need to take good care of our planet and our trees. Fantastic intro. Yes, trees, a living legacy, no doubt. They function uh, so many ways and so many, for so many good reasons. Um, you know, obviously, as of late, um, the hot topic is what I call climate chaos. And uh Believe what you will, weather is changing. Having three decades uh, working outdoors, I can say in the last five to even 10 years that yeah. things have changed dramatically. So clearly things are, things are changing for the worse and everything that we can do to help improve those things, whether it's managing soil health, planting more trees, trying to reduce heat islands, reducing the emissions with the products that we use are all super front and center and front of mind for us. So Cape Cod's not really known for its trees, and uh, here in Mashpee, right next to Joint Base Cape Cod, there's hardly a tree around. And how old is this company, Hartley Graymont? Its, it's basis is Davy Tree, which is a 140-year-old company. So Davy um, is an, one of the largest employee-owned companies in the, in the country. Thousands of people are employed by Davy throughout North America. Yeah, they've got a, a big, large footprint in the industry. You could almost say that they, they started the industries. Where are they located? Kent, Ohio is the corporate headquarters. We've got a number of different offices across the U.S. and southern Canada. We do some consulting work in Europe, but there's no real you know headquarters or branch in Europe, to my knowledge. We also have a research wing um, that helps municipalities with mapping of city street trees, which are super important for urban green spaces. Mm, um, they I might imagine. do a, a municipal project, say, for a town golf course. They're getting involved with some wetlands studies and obviously pollinators as well and mm -hmm. what we can do to continue to promote good health for native uh, honeybees because obviously, you know, the U.S. is a huge agriculture base right. and uh, without honeybees, um, none of that occurs. I know they love the locust and I'm not, I'm not going to say the word tree because it's not really a tree. A legume, right? Yeah, here Truth. on Cape Cod we think they're trees. Locusts, you know, very fragrant when in bloom and certainly attract honeybees. Absolutely. Um, I mean, when the Cape was, was established, it was deforested for many reasons. Uh, building homes, heating homes, cooking food, you name it. And a lot of the species that 
ended up here were considered invasives. So a lot of the trees that you see here now and a lot of the species, like weed species and vines and things like that, um, were all introduced. So maintaining fragile forest and ecosystem that was here naturally, that's super important. The trees that are here now aren't the same trees that were here back in the day when they had to be taken down and used for heat source and building and things like that. Absolutely. What were those species that were here originally? So obviously the tree that everyone thinks of, at least for me, for a native deciduous species is Tupelo. And everybody, I think, remembers the song Tupelo Honey. I think it was by Van Morrison. (laughs) But that's a really popular song. But, you know, yeah. Tupelo is, is a great deciduous tree for Cape Cod. Some people call it gum tree. My understanding is, is that wood was somehow used in the barreling process. Um, mm. You know, a barrel has a bung that closes the hole of the barrel up. And yeah. somehow that wood was utilized for that. I think wood many times was considered utilitarian, I guess. They used it for many different purposes. Beech trees for aging whiskey or wine or what have you. Black oak has always been a tree that's been known to be a a native tree. Eastern white pine, hornbeam, not necessarily on the Cape, but in the south coastal uh, areas, you know, we have pines. And of course, eastern red cedar is a big, you know, native tree right. as well. Yeah, so. sure. Mm-hmm. What is the range of Hartney Greymont here on Cape Cod and the South Shore? Like, what communities do you serve? So we service the entire Cape. We will go partway up Route 3 towards Plymouth, Pretty the much. South Shore. We venture over to the South Coast often. We'll get as far as, say, Dartmouth, maybe Westport, depending on the project. My goodness. Yeah, so quite a range. This year, we may try to reevaluate those areas that we work in. We may not take on a ton of new business, you know, further afield. Yeah, yeah. It just becomes more difficult with summer traffic to get around. So. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, there's a lot of tree guys around, but what makes uh, Hartney Graymont, Steve, um, different? Yeah. Well, a tree person is sometimes Uh self-taught, which can be impressive, right? Maybe they went to some accredited workshops and and they attended some seminars and they got educated. But we do pride ourselves in having a staff that are certified arborists, either through the state, through the Massachusetts Arborists Association, or through the International Society of Arboriculture. Now, do you work uh, through referrals with local tree people? Like, say, there's Mm -hmm. a job that... They don't really quite know how to prune this tree to mm-hmm. optimize its health or growth. Or yeah, well. absolutely. Many times through trade meetings and organizations, we get to know the ownership of the companies, but mm-hmm. we don't always know the teammates. And that's really the most important frontline person that the client is going to interact with. What are the credentials of your staff? You had asked, what's the difference between a tree guy and an arborist? Well, it's mm-hmm. actually quite a bit. I kind of have that feeling. Yeah, so. it's quite a bit. So. To be, I think, a true professional within a trade industry, you need to have some certifications. What separates you from what I call pretenders or legitimate service providers are those certifications. And it could be on-site, in-field training. It could be the fact that you have an arborist certification or you're a certified horticulturalist. All things that you get through state boards and through international boards. So. Besides people, your equipment also has to meet the job requirement as well. A lot of people probably have like a bucket truck and a chainsaw, but Mm -hmm. some of the equipment downstairs here on location in Mashpee at Hartney Graymont, I saw quite a few impressive, huge trucks that you would take out. Yeah, the fleet is tailored to the skill set in your branch. Those bucket trucks and those large trucks that we have are, are great, but you can't fit them inside a 36 inch gate. (laughs) So tree climbing is what we do 
primarily most of the time. Our goal in our office is, is tree preservation and plant health care first and taking trees down as a last ditch. Yeah. A tree may have taken 80 or 100 years to get to the place that it is in, in the world today and just to take it down because the client doesn't want to clean up acorns, um, <laughs> it's not what we're about. There's a lot of reasons, a lot of wrong reasons in my opinion why people want to take trees down. So So you try to talk people out of it, Steve? I try to educate them yeah. and make, make the best decision for sure. If you're just joining us, this is Talking Back. I'm with Steve Mercer with the Hartney Graymont tree company here in Mashpee on location and we're discussing why keeping our trees healthy keeps us healthy today on Talking Back. I'm Dr. Paula Sperry. Thank you for joining me on the radio at 92.1 or 91.3 FM for all of Cape Cod or perhaps you're podcasting us online in which case it's www.womr.org. So Steve, what are some signs that a tree does need to come down? Like I noticed there's a lot of those, this moss stuff. Hmm. Yeah, so lichen is, is what it is. Lichen yeah. is uh, it's algae and fungus, okay? And they don't need much to grow on a surface that retains moisture or conducts moisture. You can find algae, uh, fungus, and lichen on a cedar shingle that retains moisture. You right. can find it on the side of a tree. What is that stuff all over our trees? <laughs> and it's lichen, and it can look different ways. It depending. grows on rocks, even. It does indeed, and yeah. it can look different depending on the species and how old it is. The rays of the sun break it down over time. Sometimes it almost looks like uh, shaggy and, and mossy, and that's why people land on moss. Yeah. But it's not a parasite. It doesn't kill trees. It's opportunistic, uh, and it's really just hitching a ride. Okay, you see some of the trees on Cape Cod that are just full of that, and you wonder if it's taking the tree down, you know? Yeah, it's a it's an easy place to land. I think it can stymie or stunt growth on some of the, what we would call shrub layer or scrub. But on mature shade trees, I've rarely ever seen it be a killer, and the lichen just by happenstance is on there. Pruning trees. Mm -hmm. A lot of people try to do it themselves. Mm -hmm. Is it best to maybe hire someone to do it for you? If you're, if you're a DIY person and you want to learn how to prune, say, I don't know, trees that you don't have to leave the ground for, mm. because obviously there's a whole set of challenges and, and safety issues with climbing trees. But by far and large, if you take some simple classes on pruning and how to make proper pruning cuts where the tree can produce what's called callus tissue after the, the pruning wound is made, as people, you know get a cut or a wound you know our body reacts with our defense compounds and we get a scab and it heals over or if you break a bone it heals if it's set properly trees need to go through a series of defense compounds as well and if a prune is made in an incorrect place or done at an improper angle in the wrong place the tree remains open to infection insects um, there's a lot of bad things that could come a tree's way if they're pruned incorrectly. You mentioned, uh, Steve, about invasive species. Mm -hmm. I, I've just recently found that Norway maples are an invasive species, and I have this big, beautiful maple tree in mm -hmm. my driveway, sure. and I had to take it down. It was dropping branches that were 8 to 10 mm -hmm. you know, uh, inches wide. Yeah. If one of them ever fell on my car, that would be the end of it. So. It was an old tree and it was split and it lots of reasons why it needed to go but sure. 
lot of people yelled at me for getting rid of such a nice, big, beautiful tree mm. on my property. The Norway maple, I call it the plight of the Norway. There is value in, in a Norway maple bud because they're known to have a lot of decay. They have poor branch unions over time. Thus the branches dropping in the driveway. Yeah, yeah, so what happens, you know, they're also prone to wood decay fungi. They're prone to, you know, prolific seed production. And I think that's one of the main reasons why the state of Massachusetts doesn't want nurseries to sell them anymore because they could offset balance out in the natural ecosystem. And they're so. one of the fast growing things. I think that's why people put them in. Like if you're doing they a are. neighborhood and there's no trees, you put a few Norway maples around and boom, mm -hmm. within like five to eight years, you've got like 40 foot trees. Yeah, they, they have a very accelerated growth rate, but there are certainly species in the maple um, genus that are far better as far as structural form, insect and disease resistance over time. I like red maple, Acer rubrum, which is also a native species to mm -hmm. Cape Cod, and they have more um, lovely you know, fall color and don't produce as much seed as the Norway maples do. Now, one of the big problems, Steve, with trees or growing trees or having trees on your property are pests. I have an atlas cedar mm -hmm. in my yard. I bought it for 12 bucks about 25 years ago, okay. 30 years ago. It's a nice tree, uh, replanted it front yard. It was doing really well, but my front yard's full of every other type of tree. Mm -hmm. Got rid of a couple of dead trees around it to give it more light, but that didn't even help. What's going on is it's looking anemic, looking pretty weak. Okay. And it's growing in Provincetown, so there's a lot of sand. Sure. So giving you that information, how would you diagnose the problem with my Atlas Cedar? So when I went to UMass Amherst for urban forestry, my professor, Dr. Ryan, said, whatever you do in your career, plant the right tree in the right place, right? However, Blue Atlas Cedar are incredibly popular. and. Well, this is a green one, by the way. Well, even a green cedar, whether it's a Diodora, whether it's a blue. It's still an Atlas cedar. Yeah. yeah. They are incredibly popular at the nursery, yeah. and the nursery sells what's popular, even though it's not a great species for Cape Cod. Cape oh. Cod is predominantly for eight to ten weeks every spring. It's pretty cool and it's pretty wet, which means there are a lot of fungal spores replicating and mm -hmm. ones that love cedars atlas cedars called needle cast so they're very prone to this needle cast the growers have not been able to engineer out this, mm. this susceptibility and it's great that you've tried to improve airflow because that's one of the things that you would try to do if you have a, a disease issue and then you know it depends on how bad the the defoliation or the poor health of the plant is whether it would warrant a fungicide application or three or maybe even four if that cool wet weather persists mm -hmm. and then you have to say well how much am I willing to invest in this tree yeah over time does it make sense it kind of looks like a nutritional deficiency to me it's like pale yellow the, mm. the green you know needles are turning like more yeah. of a yellowy color is it is there something wrong with soil care and soil fertility what oh. soil it's sand <laughs> Exactly. So we'll segue into that. So maybe some nutrition. Can you feed trees? You can. Uh, okay. You can. And it's it's one of the services that we do quite a bit of. Uh, soil care is, is super important. Uh, much like if you were going to grow vegetables for a great garden, you would prep that soil. Oh, sure. You would go to great lengths and you would try to do everything in your power to make sure that your crop yield in your garden was meeting the investment, right? You put well, in so, a lot of work exactly. to grow that garden. Yeah. We have a big plot of land we clear it because we have to put in a huge septic mm -hmm. array you sure. know title five leach field mm -hmm. 
Now we want to replace some trees. We want to put some trees back in. Sure. Do you just leave the sand that comes up or do you like make a hole and put good stuff in there? Or how is it that you would then uh, put, you know, plant trees in an area like that? We would entirely try to remediate the soil altogether, especially if it was a large site and there would be multiple large trees being planted. Um, We would try to get rid of as much of that sand medium as possible Mm. and incorporate really good organic based loam into the hole. How far down? Well, so that's a tricky question. I'll give you the simplest answer I can. Bald and burlapped. Uh, nursery stock when it's grown is usually sitting with about three to four inches of excess soil on top of the root ball and I don't know if that's done over time if they incorporate some more clay based uh, soil into the harvesting process for a soil ball that's easier to dig and easier to move and easier to ship however you need to find the natural flare or the buttress of a tree and that needs to be planted at ground level the reason why that needs to be planted at ground level is over time, soil has to stay oxygenated. If you plant the tree too deep, the soil conditions become anaerobic and okay. the tree is really starting to go backwards. So okay. without good organic matter, without good microbial activity, which is fungi, bacteria, earthworm activity, mm-hmm. none of those things happen unless there's organic matter in the soil. Ah. So if it's pure sand and it grew from seed by Mother Nature, God's hand, whatever you want to call it, normally those trees acclimate just fine. But it's a piece of nursery stock that's been spoon-fed and given everything it ever needs its entire life, and then you establish it into a sand dune. Well, (laughs) I think you're setting yourself up for failure. (laughs) (laughs) However, take those steps. You want to um, dig the planting hole double the size of the circumference of the actual root ball, Mm -hmm. um, and you want to water the tree in as you plant it. So you remove the excess fill, you find the flare, get the planting depth correct. Get get the burlap off the thing. Get the burlap in the cage off. You know, some nursery growers are great. Um, They do an excellent job at balling and burlapping up the stock and others, they just get it done. (laughs) Yeah. The other challenge is transport. So Mm. trees, having worked in a nursery as a teenager, um, I saw the ill effects that that trees um, have to you know go through they've been handled 10 or 12 times before they even get sold wow then they get handled four or five times more before they actually go on the ground so that activity of bouncing the root ball around a truck bed picking it up with a forklift or a squeeze attachment putting it in the ground they're really getting beat up Mm. so you have to baby those tree roots um, to the best of your abilities plant it at the proper depth Mm. good watering good organic soil after the tree is in the ground you really need to water it pretty extensively soaker hose probably every other day for about an hour and a half Mm. um, right through the spring and the summer almost as far into the fall as you possibly can wow and that'll help offset some of the the rigors of of a a harsh winter yeah yeah what are some of the worst pests we have here on cape cod with things we're trying to grow tree wise so the one that we hear about the most is black turpentine beetle on pitch pines Mm. bores into the stem of the tree sends out a signal finds a mate, makes a family. Larval activity and mining through the vascular tissues of the tree is incredibly destructive. They also have the ability to uh, vector a fungal strain on their back, which can get into the vascular systems of a tree. So there's a lot of challenges there. Some trees can support a few breeding pairs a season and they'll live to be 100 years old, but others can't. 
they could be subject to competitive pressure or other stress that they were put under and you know a turpentine beetle family you know foraging around inside their vital tissues isn't isn't making them too happy we'll say exactly yeah that's a big one for sure yeah yeah now what about road salt in the winter time yeah, so road salt is a challenge for sure. Which um, affects the tree all year round, I understand. It may. It just depends on how severe of a winter that we've had. But a lot of municipalities are brining roads, too, with a liquid salt Yeah, um, they mix. spray it. Yeah. They spray down a brine prior to the, the event. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that's a step in the right direction. I'm not sure for public safety. But again, we're talking about trees that have grown on their own from seed over time. I think those trees are usually okay. They can acclimate to some level of road salt. But newer established trees that have been grown in a nursery, they have a much harder time. Mm. So some of the things that you can do to offset some of the salt damage are water as late into the, the fall season as you can. If you have the ability to rinse the salt off the trees, that's always a great idea. Now, mm. most people shut their hose off in the wintertime right. for fear of the pipes freezing. So yeah. I think not everyone will have the ability to do that effectively. Right. But we do see much warmer winters now, 50s and high 40s for most of the winter. So I think you can have your hose on and, and take some steps. So you have sodium chloride and calcium chloride. Yeah, and th- right. Those are the two predominant ones. That Is one worse than the other? I think the sodium chloride needs to be mixed with other materials um, because, yes, it can be more impactful than mm-hmm. the calcium chloride. They still have the same effect. They're still going to displace water. They're still going to displace oxygen in the soil profile. And they can actually literally burn tissue and buds mm-hmm. that haven't set for the spring on the trees themselves. So. You haven't seen it in a couple of years, but I remember a few years back going down Route 6, like mm-hmm. say between East Ham and Provincetown. Sure. The trees were all green up to the road. And mm-hmm. then like the first three, four trees in had turned all brown. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. The velocity of the wind has a lot to do with that, too. You know, there's a thing that we see um, during hurricane season where, I'll give you an example. We had a storm. I think it was Sandy. Mm-hmm. So Sandy was highly destructive for the, the eastern seaboard in the northeast. And uh, Sandy generated tons of swell activity and churning ocean offshore, which generated what's called sea swirl. Salty air gets pushed inland. We saw salt damage on trees 10 or 12 miles inland from the coast. Oh my gosh. From, from Sandy. So salt damage on trees is a common occurrence. I think the trees here on the Cape have some level of acclimation to salt spray. I would imagine, yeah. So I think a severe wind event may be a nor'easter or a hurricane that's pushing salty air with velocity further inland could be more harmful. A lot of people put burlap bags or wrap around their trees or Mm -hmm. shrubs or bushes in the winter. Is that necessary? I think it's all site-specific as to whether that's a success or a failure. I think physical breaks or barriers make more sense. Um, What happens to burlap when it gets wet? Oh, yeah, mold and mildew. Mold, mildew, and it can just retain all that salt, right? That's true. So I think if you wrap it multiple times, maybe Mm -hmm. that's a better strategy. Um, I've seen it work, and I've seen it fail. Yeah, why do people do it at all? Mostly to reduce what's called winter drying or desiccation. Yeah. So, and it's usually almost always on evergreen plant material, whether it be cedars or cypress or arborvitae. Those plants continue to lose water through vapor later into the season, whereas deciduous trees drop their leaves 
temperatures get cold, the day length decreases and they start to shut down. Evergreens will still lose water through vapor later into the season than some of the deciduous trees. Right. So a lot of the winter drying happens early on in the season. Um, and that's exacerbated by high winds mm-hmm. uh, and dry soil and trees that are still losing water through vapor. I've seen tree companies spraying some substance, some oilier, watery substance. Yeah. And I've stopped them going, what are you doing to those trees? You know, yeah, figuring so, it's some kind of nasty pesticide. And they're like, no, 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 it's pretty safe. It's just stuff that we've put on the trees to prevent wind damage. That's correct. So it's a wax-based material. Yeah. It's called Vapor Guard. Technically, is an anti-desiccant. It's supposed to reduce or suppress some of the desiccation that trees can receive from winter winds. Mm. Um, Does it work? It works on the waxy leaved evergreens, I think, pretty well. I think when you get into cedars and things like that, I think you have less uh, efficacy. But things like roadies and laurels and things like that, azaleas, we do find it to be pretty successful. And again, it's all the exposure. Mm -hmm. Um, You can spray all the anti-desiccant you want, but if you live on a bluff on the ocean with a northeast wind exposure, you you can't hide from that. No. (laughs) No level of burlap or anti-desiccant is going to slow the wind down. Maybe it reduces the damage. And that's the hope. So that really becomes a a conversation about um, expectation. Steve, if uh, someone wanted to plant a fruit tree in their yard, what would be the best choice for most of Cape Cod? I would say go with peaches and pears. They tend to do a little bit better than some of the apple species do here. Um, And if they just want it for pollinators and ornamental fruit, there's a whole host of different ornamental trees they could choose from. But I like peaches and pears. They're pretty tough. They're pretty resilient. If they don't care about actually eating the fruit and they just want an ornamental tree, a lot of the crab apples do great um, Mm. as far as being resilient and tough. They're a little prone to leaf disease because of our weather. There's like orange balls that grow on some of the cedar trees. And one of my friends goes, look, my cedar tree's got fruit on it. And I was cracking up because I knew it wasn't fruit. That's called cedar apple rust. Mm-hmm. And there's multiple hosts, obviously anything in the cedar, jun- juniperus kind of genus, and anything in the malice, which is crab apple, usually uh, species, sometimes plum, you'll see it. But basically the fungal spore bounces back and forth between each species. On the deciduous trees, it will show up as a blemish or a spot on the foliage. And on the cedar trees, it'll show up as that, I call it, uh, almost like a little squid. (laughs) Yeah, they do look like squid. Bright orange, yeah. It's a gelatinous little substance, and it's quite alarming when you look at it. Yeah, alien invaders. Yeah, they look really odd. They're very strange, for sure. You know, I've never seen any ill health effects on the cedar trees that they normally um, host on. But But you might not want to plant an apple orchard right next to it. Yeah, I agree. The trouble is, is you know, you could have you could have an alternate host very close by in the neighborhood, and you can't control that. So right. I always say, plant with diversity. Don't plant monocultures in your yard, mm-hmm. even though you may be subject to this cedar apple rust. If you like a crab apple, enjoy a crab apple. It's not <laughs> going to kill it, but it is. You know, if you don't know, it's it's alarming. I've been speaking with Steve Mercer, who is the district manager with. Hartney Graymont, a giant company uh, through the Davy Company. They're here in Mashpee, and that's where we are on location today with Talking Back. We've been talking about why trees are so important, not only to the environment, but to our health and our ability to breathe fresh, clean air. 
and to uh, keep you know the ground and the skies and everything stable because geez in today's day and age with global warming and everything else you know we have to do what we can to preserve the species that take care of us we have to take care of each other the plants and the animals taking a tree down I think should be a last resort unless it's physically going to destroy or harm something or someone. Trees take a long time to mature and to grow. They provide habitat for things seen and unseen, you know, native honeybees and pollinators. They're stabilizing our soil. They're filtering uh, unwanted nutrification of our waterways. Shade. Shade and cooling benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think everything that you can do to try to preserve a tree should be thought of first. Use that removal, you know, kind of as a, okay, do we really have to take this down? Mm-hmm. And if we do, how many trees can we plant in its place? Exactly. If you take yeah. one down, just plant a new one. Or two. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can reach us here in our office, Hartney Graymont, a Davy company. Uh, you can reach us at 508-548-2662. You can also reach us um, at www.davy.com and you can get connected with an arborist, uh, either myself or Natasha Bachelor. Come out and see you and provide a consultation and uh, we can talk trees. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining me today on Talking Back. Pleasure's all mine. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into Talking Back. Talking Back is heard on WOMR Radio at 92.1 FM at this time each week. If you have news or comments to share, or you would like to be a guest on Talking Back, write, call, or email this station, care of Dr. Paula Sperry, WOMR FM Radio, Post Office Box 975, Provincetown, Massachusetts, 02657. Or you can give us a call. We're at 508-487-2619 or 1-800-921-9667. We're also at www.womr.org online. Tune in next week. And until we meet again, please remember to love your body.